So anyway, I was talking about when I texted you about the uh, the Renaissance Fair needs to be more historically accurate because I was thinking about it. Right? It's like it's just a it's yeah, just no. a giant. It's a farmer's market in cosplay. That's all it is, really. Yeah. Like you're it's- just going around buying candles and overpriced food and beer, and that's it. Have we not had a Which blast is- doing that? No. And I, I love it. I Don't get me wrong. I think it's great. That's where I got I my bought kilt. a kilt too. Did you get yours at Renaissance Festival? Oh, no. I actually got my first one from Jeff, but then I bought a second one about a year or two ago. You were there um, when I bought mine. I do remember that. We were on a school trip. What was that guy's name? I don't know. Something Highlander. I don't know. Anyway, yeah. all I'm saying is, like, it's just a giant farmer's market. And it's not that I don't like it. I do. I enjoy it thoroughly. But I'm like, you remember when we went to those couple of um, Society for Creative Anachronism meetings when we were still yeah. in college? And like, they were like practicing sword play. And like, there was a lady over here, like doing some sort of stitching that yeah. was germane to the time that she and was the one representing. Guy was an armorer. And he, an armorer. Yeah. And he's yeah. like, this is what I do for a living. I make armor yeah. for people in the SCA. I'm like, that's wild. Yeah, um, exactly. And like, they're explaining and like. Yeah, but they know, wouldn't the even are... let us do anything with the swords. They just, they I know. like, hold Weird. the shield. I mean, hold the shield for five minutes. And both of us had short, uh, sore shoulders after that. I know. That's, so I guess that's it. their version of hazing. But like, all I'm saying is what I really enjoyed about the SEA and those, those kind of things is like, you're kind of getting a taste of a more accurate taste of what the middle ages or late middle ages, early Renaissance, yeah. however you want to frame it was. And I wish the Ren fair would have more of that stuff. Like in the Arizona Ren fair, they had the croft where they had that blacksmith there and, and mm-hmm. like, and they had like some chickens and like they had people like stitching things, but that's it. That's the only area where they're like kind of like living in a time capsule. Everyone else is just like failed, you know, circus acrobats and, you know, fire breathers and all this stuff, which is cool. And like former it's fun. Students. And former students. Never mind. Those, yeah. <laughs> the former, st- the from the town of my bum. I can't look at their character. Nibble can mashy. That's it for my bum. Oh yeah. My gosh. Those guys, they're great. I mean, they're the best part of the Renaissance fair, but just, I don't know. I just wish there was, I just hate like all the, you know, everything says ye old in and ye old pop stand and like stuff like that. And it's like, yeah, that's cheeky and fun, but I think you can it's do better. It's amazing that during the middle ages and Renaissance that people could starve considering the only thing they ate was massive turkey legs or and they just or, threw the rest of the turkey away or if they had soup the bowl was literally bread i mean they it's amazing yeah my impression of the middle ages was the food was delicious and abundant gosh food was delicious. ye old ye old pop fountains everywhere <laughs> just just sausage just a, on a stick a land a land of mountain dew and turkey legs you know it's, <laughs> it's funny really because paradise you, th- you think about if students based their idea of what the, the Renaissance or Reformation or Middle Ages were like 
based on the food just at the Renaissance Festival, everyone ate meat constantly. Oh, yeah. Which is Not directly even close to true. inverted from the truth that you maybe yeah. got meat once a week and it yeah. was a meager portion and you tried to make it last for the week. Yeah. In a stew. Yeah, you got gruel. Gruel was a staple, you know. <sighs> That, that, you know, those those high carb, tasteless. Then you need the carbs. Meals. If you're going to work the farm for six days a week. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, it's just a random thought I had because my daughter was like, "Hey, Dad, when can we go to that thing again?" And go, "What thing?" And she goes, "You know, the thing where people have swords and horses." And I'm like, "Oh, the Ren Fair." <laughs> like, well, let me see when the next Ren Fair is in Utah. And it's actually we we just missed it by a month or so. So I'll have to wait till next year, but. I we don't we don't have one close to us in Kern County that I know of. There's we can go down to LA area for one, but I just I don't really feel like driving for two and a half hours to go for some to something for three. Yeah. So uh, when it rolls around again, but do you have any SCA chapters near you? You know, I haven't even thought about it. I haven't looked at all, but maybe I will. Yeah, we do have one nearby. Um. And they do, they have a war once a year, kind of, they used to have the war out in Phoenix mm-hmm. yeah, in Estrella Park. Um, and we have one that does a war nearby. Um, and they have fighter practice and archery practice and those kind of things nearby. It, it'd be fun to go check out, but, but otherwise, uh, welcome to Dadbot History. Yes. Welcome to Dab Out History. That's oh. our five minute Renaissance Fair rant. Yeah. So and, uh, I guess I guess this episode's coming out late kind of deserves an explanation, I think. I think it does because our fans, <laughs> i.e. Janice, was asking. We <laughs> recorded on Sunday night. And <laughs> for some reason that night was the first night I decided to take a prescribed medication that I decided I didn't want to take just yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, the side effect was, you know, don't operate heavy machinery or drive a car, drowsiness, that kind of stuff. There's literally portions of that recording, and I have not gone back to to watch or listen to it, where I was nearly certain I was completely asleep with my eyes open, and you would stop <laughs> talking, and I would kind of wake up and be like, I have no idea what we're talking. I was about. like, I, I was like high speed. <laughs> I was high speed internet and you were like an old dial up modem. Like you were lagging back. <laughs> just, I go just loading. And this is an really interesting passage. Don't you agree? One, two, three, four. Hey, Eric. Ah, robots are pretty cool. Okay. All right. <laughs> it's good talk. I, again, at some on, point so. I'm going to have to go revisit that the raw footage and just see how bad it was, but it was pretty bad. <laughs> so anyways, we're coming yeah, was, back. I'm going to be more awake, even though today was likely the most exhausting day of the week for me, but we can do just because it was Wednesday. So our schedule on Wednesdays on the first Wednesday of the month is a shorter schedule because we get out a little bit earlier so we can have a staff meeting so classes are cut from 40 minutes to 10 minutes. And one of my get, mm-hmm. my classes gets moved from after lunch to before lunch. And so my prep period doesn't even have lunch attached to it. And it was shorter. And I had a ton of stuff to do for a field trip we're doing tomorrow. I didn't have a moment 
And so it was very exhausting. By the end of the day, I was just toast. So um, yeah, it was just a long day and it's been a long week. So yeah, there you go. All right. All right. Well, yeah, let's get into it. So uh, what we're going to talk about tonight is uh, Greeks and robots. I don't know how else better to, to set up this topic. I was reading this article about a week or so ago from the Greek reporter. It's an online publication. And they did a summary of this book that's coming out written by a professor, Dr. Dr. Adrian Mayer, who is a professor at Stanford. She's a historian at Stanford University. And her book is called Gods and Robots. And her premise of her book is that the, the Greeks kind of prefigured the ideas of artificial intelligence, robotics, and driverless vehicles in their myths, legends, and in, in some respects in their own inventions and creations. And so read this article, sent it to you, Eric, you read it, and uh, we're going to kind of dive in and dig into some uh, some primary sources that, that are referred to in the article and go from there. Yeah. I, you know, when uh, you sent this to me, I started looking up some sources and, and initially what comes up is automata, right? Like mm-hmm. these devices that um, are, are apparently or seemingly self uh, self-motored, self-driving, self-activated, mm-hmm. right? And when mm-hmm. I say seemingly, it's because there is some human element or there's some uh, inertial force, initial force that starts the device, mm-hmm. but then it can kind of go perpetually, you know, not quite a perpetual motion machine, but it can work perpetually along a given path, mm-hmm. right? What was the the wine drinking robot or the wine pouring robot? Uh, yeah, Phylon's magic wine made, and right. he would, you know, um, it was set up with basically these levers, and you'd put a cup in one hand, and then that would open a plunger, and then that would allow the the other hand, which was holding the wine, to start pouring, and then once the cup got full enough, it would, the hand would go farther down, and then that would put the stopper in, and the wine would stop pouring, and now you had a full cup of wine from just setting the cup on the hand. Mm-hmm. So it was just you know, that initial thing triggered all these other mechanisms within this statue to make it work. Right. And so that's a, I don't know how you'd put it. I mean, that that's an early step into computers or when we talk about well, they're, like, and they're, beyond simple machines, right? Well, yeah, they're complex machines. I mean, you know, complex machine is essentially a bunch of simple machines put together. And that's exactly what this was. And there's other real life examples that are described that we'll, we'll get into that are these simple or these complex machines and early automata. And then you look in the myths, there's like idealized versions of these automata and and robots and artificial intelligence that we'll discuss. Well, yeah, well, you, you, you're discussing myths. So mm-hmm. Hephaestus, right? He's going to be mm-hmm. one of these initial mythological figures that this author uh, or uh, posits that you know Hephaestus is actually creating robots and AI. Mm-hmm. And and who Hephaestus was is he was the god of you know craftsmen and metalworking, and so he was the guy. He was the builder god of the Olympics or the Greek pantheon, so to speak. 
And so he would build what we would know of as robots or automata or in some regards, artificial intelligence. And it's just, and he built tons of them. Uh, the most famous or the most well-known and the one she refers to, Dr. Mayer refers to is Talos. And uh, I want to just kind of describe what Talos was. Uh, he's depicted as a bronze automaton made by Hephaestus. Um, Apollodorus, who wrote in about the first century BC, he compiled several histories of who they thought Hephaestus was. Um, some say he was the men of the bronze race, um, Hesiod's brazen race. Others say he was given to Minos of Crete by Hephaestus, and he was actually a man made of bronze, while others say he was made of, he was a bull, a bronze-made bull. He had a single vein stretching down from his neck to his ankles. In that vein was Ichor, um, and that Ichor was essentially what his lifeblood would be. A bronze nail was set firmly into the end of the vein, and a, a part of and in Talos um, shows up in Hesiod's or in the Argonautica, um, which is the story of Jason and the Argonauts, you know, the whole golden fleece and, and all that. Um, Hesiod's works and days. Um, Hesiod says Zeus, the father, made a third generation of mortal men. The brazen race sprung from ash trees. They loved the lamentable works of Ares and deeds of violence. Um, they ate no bread, but were of heart of heart like adamant, fearful men. And so Apollodorus, who wrote in his Bibliotheca, he said he could be a descendant of these brazen men that was created by Zeus. Um, but most accounts say that he was crafted by Hephaestus and given some semblance of life. And, and so that's who Talos was. And what's interesting is, you know, when we recorded this on Sunday, I actually kept thinking about Talos, Eric, and, and his thing, he was, depending on the story you're reading, and that's the thing, there's no like, there's no unified Greek mythology. It's all a bunch of compilations and collections. So depending on the story you're reading, he's um, guarding Europa, the 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 woman Europa, who was one of Zeus's uh, consorts or concubines, however you want to phrase it, and protecting her um, on the island of, of Crete. And so he would run around the island three times a day or he was um, just given as a gift by Minos to protect the island or given as a gift to Minos to protect the island. But instead, when when Jason and the Argonauts are trying to get onto the island. It says Talos, who's running his circuit around the island, immediately like starts throwing boulders at the ships as they're trying to approach. And it says he was killed one of several ways. Uh, and one of the ways was Medea tricked him, basically saying, I promise I can give Wait, you Tyler Perry's Medea. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The one in the same. Yeah. She was an ancient Greek, uh, you know, powerful woman is right before him. What is it? Medea's Christmas. Yeah. Right before then. Um, so she tricked Talos. So Talos, and this kind of matters because it kind of gives us a little more character about who he was. It says she tricked him and said, I can make you immortal. So make you like the gods. And Talos desired that. And then when she did, she tricked him and pulled the nail out of his ankle. And then his, his lifeblood, his ichor ran out and that's how he died. But it shows that Talos crafted by Hephaestus, but Talos has these desires that a normal automaton or a robot, as we think of them, would not have. So there's something there more than just, 
a machine set to accomplish a task. There's there's some other desire or proto soul or spirit within this this created thing um, apart from just simple robotics or machinery. So it's just something I wanted to, to bring up because if we're asking the question, did the Greek mythology create robots or prefigure robots and Talos being the biggest example of that, I might actually say, yeah, definitely made of bronze could accomplish these tasks and, and, you know, and, and could be programmed to do things. But there's also something a little more there within Talos. Um, he almost became self-aware, so to speak. Um, and I, I guess to some extent that its story might mirror um, Pinocchio mm. right? wishing to be a real boy. Very you, good. That, that kind of, uh, I don't know what you would say, kind of the self-awareness, right? Yeah, that I'm not that I I am just this thing. I'm not quite what I need to be. Talos mm-hmm. wanting to be immortal. Um, you could go to Adam and Eve. You know, created beings that, for whatever reason, it well, okay, without getting too theological in there, but um, well, I think it's you know they wanted to be like some, God, yeah, some something to that next level, yeah, um, because artificial intelligence to the extent that I understand it is always kind of a step. Like it it would be, I assume nearly impossible for an intelligence like human intelligence to create an intelligence greater than our own. Right. And so any intelligence that we created would be lesser than, right. And if the Greek gods created or Hephaestus created an artificial intelligence, it's going to be lesser than him. Mm Mm-hmm or degree so or be, level below it would be a derivative right it der- yeah. their intelligence derives from so talos his attributes derive from hephaestus and so he's derivative of hephaestus yeah, and so he can't he can't have intelligence beyond or capability beyond hephaestus that that wouldn't yeah. make sense and again i'm not an artificial intelligence expert so some people might say that's actually false but okay yeah and this name when i saw it um before we recorded last time i was like this name looks really familiar talos and so i i went digging and i realized where i saw it and i didn't actually see the word talos i saw the word delos and delos d-e-l-o-s is a greek island hmm. and where i saw it was in the hbo series westworld oh and that's the company now i have no Delos is just an island. I, I don't think it has any ties to these Greek mythologies about this, but in Westworld, you have this place that has built these robots to be as lifelike as possible for the pleasure and whatever of actual humans. And throughout the, the, the story, they become self-aware, they have desires and the ability to distinguish them from humans becomes mm-hmm. impossible right so kind of like the replicants in uh was it blade runner yeah same thing yeah so yeah i mean i think we're getting a little bit ahead of where we're we're going but you also mentioned the golden maidens and pandora and these are two mm-hmm. very fascinating groups yeah or- yeah so then in the next kind of subject moving on from robots um although one of my favorite 
automatons, or and I would definitely call this a robot, was the uh, golden tripods, <laughs> which were created by Hephaestus again. And they were tripods and upon them, you could put food and drink and the gods would have these golden tripods come in and bring food to the banquets on Olympus and then take the plates out and bring more food and more drink in automatically. So that's definitely a robot. I mean, it's not something that's, you know, built to have self-awareness or desire beyond the function it was created for. Um, so anyway, I just wanted to throw that out there. There are, cause like I said, I don't think Talos is like a robot in the way that I would think of it certainly, um, but he's something a little bit more. Um, and that kind of leads us into, as you said, Pandora and the Golden Maidens. Now, most of us have all heard some story of Pandora's box or Pandora's jar. Um, and so I'll, I'll just read, this is again from Hesiod. And, and for those of you guys that know, Hesiod was writing about 700 BC is when he was going. So this was pre, you know, Plato, this is pre um, Aristotle, you know, what we think of as normal classical Greek. This was before then, this is more the time of Homer. And so Hesiod is writing in Works and Days is, is the name of the work. And he writes, for the gods keep hidden from men the means of life, else you would easily do work enough in a day to supply you for a full year without even working. And I want you guys to, to hold on to that passage because we're going to come back to that later. Um, and so Hesiod also says, and he bade the famous Hephaestus make haste and mix earth and water and to put it into voice and strength of humankind and fashion a sweet, lovely maiden shape like to the immortal goddesses of face and Athene to teach her needlework in the weaving of the varied web and golden Aphrodite to shed grace upon her head and cruel longing and cares that weary the limbs. And he charged Hermes the guide, the slayer of Argus, to put her in her a shameless mind and deceitful nature. And he called this woman Pandora, which means all endowed, because all they who dwelt on Olympus gave each a gift, a plague to men who eat bread. And then the story continues, for before this, the tribes of men lived on earth, remote and free from ills and hard toil and heavy sickness, which brings the fates upon men. For in misery, men grow old quickly. But the woman took off the great lid of the jar with her hands and scattered all these. And her thought caused sorrow and mischief to men. Only hope remained there within the jar. Um, so that's uh, um, from Hesiod, kind of the story of Pandora opening the jar, all these evils coming out into the world. And um, she traps hope within the jar when she shuts it because she gets scared. But when you read the description of Pandora, they are not just making an automaton. They're making something more, right? They give it, uh, you know, a human mind. They give it a human body, but they give it the ability to do needlework, weaving of webs, um, deceitful nature, shameless mind, cruel longing, cares that weary the limbs. Like they give her all these attributes and I wouldn't say they're good attributes, um, but they give her all these attributes that are more than just input information, get output. Like we think of computers or robots today. Um, and so God, the God Zeus set her kind of loose upon the earth and uh, when as a punishment to men and as, an, as a punishment kind of to Prometheus for stealing fire and giving it to men. And so he said, okay, well, we'll have Pandora do this and, and she'll release all this ill upon the world. And she does. And it seems that she does this 
of her own volition, although she's definitely been programmed by the gods to also do it. But she sees the jar, she opens the jar of her own volition, and then all these bad things come out. So there's definitely some automata going on there. You could say, in a sense, there's some sort of proto artificial intelligence, at least the way we think of it, you know, being self-aware, having desires beyond what you were created to do. Um, what do you think, Eric? I Okay. So I have been awake this whole time. So that's good. You know, the, the <laughs> line, the line, um, you know, shameless mind and deceitful nature that requires a level of intelligence that's beyond uh, simply uh, following a program. And so I, I think she would, you know, it's obviously it's a created, it's a designed thing. Now mm -hmm. to say it's AI is again, how much, I guess I'm struggling to to bring together our idea and definition of artificial intelligence and what the Greeks would have considered a created creature, right? Yeah. So, um, but she had a purpose, right? You had this this uh, figure created to carry mm -hmm. out a task, and in order to do that task, Pandora had to like be decisive, make decisions. Um, mm -hmm. it, it wasn't just carry out this task on these dates. It was carry out this task as it fits the situation almost. Mm -hmm. um, so, it's, I mean, it's a curious, I think it's a bit of a stretch to call it artificial intelligence, but I think. Well, and yeah, cause you're right. They created her to have intelligence. And I think you're right with humans. What we think of as artificial intelligence, we're going to create a program, we're going to create a computer, and it's going to be so sophisticated, it gains self-awareness, it gains its own intelligence, right? Like, mm -hmm. it realizes it is a created being, and it has function, not, and whereas the gods, they have the, because they're the gods, they can create anything with some sort of intelligence. Um, but clearly this is not a born being. It's not a God itself. It was created out of earth and water. And then it was endowed Pandora with these attributes. Now you could say, like you said, going back to the, to the book of Genesis, Adam was created of dust and then he was breathed life by God. And, and that's how he gained his, his spirit and became a living breed a living being. So in that sense, there is a similarity between Pandora and Adam because yeah, they were mix of created and water out of, and put exactly. in the voice, which mm -hmm. you can say is very similar to breath, right? They equate exactly. in some way. But so in that sense, you're right, because they're the gods, all intelligence is derivative of the gods. Um, mm -hmm. But clearly this was, she wasn't human and she wasn't a god. And she was not made of flesh, so to speak. She was made of the substances of the earth. And, and so you could say, yeah, she, in a sense, was an artificial intelligence apart from humanity and apart from the Olympians. And, and so I guess you can make the argument that in that sense, yeah, she was. Um, yeah, because but, any any device or or program we as humans develop today we would be building it out of physical parts and then mm -hmm. imbuing it or programming it with 
certain human understandings as best as we could translate that into a computer program Mm -hmm. for these Greek gods. They have made this thing physically and then Mm -hmm. imbued it with voice and the strength of humankind, which is again, the, the Greek, the pantheon has created humans. So they can also add that same sense, that same imbue, that same spirit. Mm -hmm. Um, And therefore, yeah, it is, it is a, I, you know, it would fit in terms of my definition, artificial intelligence falling in the, under the umbrella of the, whatever creator, um, that creator's intelligence, mm-hmm. right? I guess that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense to me. So. Oh yeah. I'm down. But I, and I, I think it kind of segues because I, I read about Pandora and I was reading the verse. I'm like, yeah, I, I get what where Dr. Mayer is going with it, but I think a better example is the golden maidens of artificial intelligence. Um, And so I'm just gonna read into that. And this comes from Homer, the Iliad. And it says, Hephaestus left his bellows, took up a heavy stick in his hand and went to the doorway limping and in support of their master moved his attendants. These are golden and in appearance like living young women. There is intelligence in their heart. There is speech in, in them and strength. And from the immortal gods, they have learned how to do things. These stirred nimbly in support of their master. And so the golden maidens were Hephaestus's um, attendants on on Olympus. And so they worked with him in in the smithy or in the bellows, um, helping him craft things. But what struck out to me was there's intelligence in their hearts, speech in them and strength, and they learned how to do things. And then they stirred nimbly in support of their master. So one, they learned how to do things. So this is, they're doing things that are beyond their own creation. They're doing things beyond what they were programmed to do. They're learning new skills or learning new attributes or, or right. you know, emotions, anything like that. And they stirred nimbly in support of their master. And it, it, on the surface, that sentence doesn't look like much, but it shows to me that they're acting without being told. So they see Hephaestus, they see he needs their help. And so they just get up and they go help him. Now you could say, well, they were programmed to. Sure, but it, it, it seems something more relational than that. It seems something more intimate than that. It seems like they they can pick up with their intuition yeah, they're not on his told. needs. They're yeah. sensing a need. They're recognizing what Hephaestus is doing as possibly needing them. So yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's what we're actually trying to teach our children right now. Look around and see (laughs) the need. Don't, don't wait to be told something. Look around. If, if something needs to be cleaned up, you can clean it. Nobody needs to tell you to do these things. So I think having a golden maiden would just be easier. Just having golden maiden attendance. Yeah. I, I think on the surface, that sounds like a great idea, but I know my kids would wreck them within a day and a half. I, yeah. I know. Yeah. It, they'd be broken. All their cables would be ripped out. It would just be a mess. I have to clean up. So, um, but yeah, you get this, you get this sense here. And this is why I like them as an example for artificial intelligence. I mean, they're definitely automatons but they've got something more going on here. Um, they're, they're more than the golden tripod, which just brings food and brings drink. You know, they're, they're even more than Talos who I think, you know, he had some sort of self-awareness, but I, I think the golden maidens have an intuition that's a little bit more advanced. 
um, more advanced than I would say Pandora. And uh, anyway, I, so I, mean, I kind of have a theory about where all this is coming from. Sure. What's that? It's not supported by anything other than just what we've read here. I, I love I, I unfounded wanna, theories. I, yeah, they're the best. Um, hey, did you know the earth is flat? What? I saw something on YouTube. It had okay. to be true. Some guy in a um, hot air balloon figured it out. Yeah, I, th- I think he proved it wrong, but <laughs> okay. Um, but I kind of want to. I want to get to the. I I want to talk about the the Phaeacian ships first. Yes, but that might be skipping ahead because you have a list of other automatons: the horses of Kaberi, the Caucasian eagle, mm-hmm. the golden Celadones, Celadones. Gold and yep. silver dogs, bronze bulls, golden tripods. We talked about the golden tripods. I don't know if you wanted to get into some of those a little bit. I mean, these are just other created by Hephaestus, um, other automatons that were crafted for specific person purposes. Um, the horses of Caberi um, were fire breathing horses, which sounds terrifying and awesome. Oh, that were that sweet. he gave that he gave to his sons. So uh, Hephaestus gave these horses to his sons. Uh, the Caucasian eagle was a another automaton that was cast out of bronze. And that was the eagle that was actually set to torture Prometheus, who was chained to the rock. And the eagle would come every day and peck out his liver. Um, the Celadones were singing maidens sculpted out of gold um, for the mythic shrine of Apollon at Delphi. Uh, a pair of the... Um, Curseos and Argios, the gold and silver dogs, are watchdogs crafted out of gold and silver by Hephaestus um, uh, at the palace of King Alcinous. And then the uh, bronze bulls were two fire-breathing bulls sculpted out of bronze by Hephaestus for another king. So it, it's just all of these other automatons, they were built, they were created, and then they were set to complete their task. They didn't seem to have um, like Talos or the Golden Maidens or Pandora, they didn't seem to have a, a will outside of those specific tasks, but they are definitely automatons and you could say robots. Um, and and the interesting thing is they're all made out, and of course, Hephaestus is the one making them, they're all made out of metal, right? Mm-hmm. They're all made of bronze or silver or gold or something. And that's that's also kind of fascinating because we do associate metals with advanced technology. Mm-hmm. with robotics i mean even though most robots today are going to be like 90 percent plastic yeah um it's going to be the metal parts the semiconductors the conductors that are actually going to be doing the 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 yeoman's share of the the work and labor in mm-hmm. electronics right and so it's kind of interesting that that Hephaestus again he's working with all this stuff but when we see these we're seeing machines not not bulls the thought of it being a bull doesn't really occur to us what occurs to us is this is a metal structure shaped Mm -hmm. like a bull because bulls don't breathe fire bulls don't do the things that these do these are yeah. made to look like bulls, but they're actually something else. And I think that's what you're, you've been getting at is they can take the shape of all these things, but what they actually are is what the task is that they've been set to. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to jump to this, um, the pilotless ships. Yeah. Because I've been thinking about this one a lot. Um, 
And this is probably my favorite one of yeah. the ones that are listed in the article. So go ahead. Yeah. So it's, it's the, the Phaeacians, um, mm-hmm. which is an island in the Aegean, correct? Yeah. And Homer writes it. He says, tell me also your country, nation, and city that our ships may shape their purpose accordingly and take you there. For the Phaeacians have no pilots. Their vessels have no rudders as those of other nations have, but the ships themselves understand that that word is fascinating to me. Uh, what it is that we are thinking about and want, they know all the cities and countries in the whole world and can traverse the sea just as well, even when it is covered with mist and cloud, so that there is no danger of being wrecked or coming to any harm. And like I said, this one has been sitting in my head for since we recorded, since I read some of this stuff, because we have self-driving cars now and they're not perfect. Yeah. But I'm trying to think, and I'm trying to wrap my head around a, is it possible that, that a Greek people actually had this working and B, if it's not possible, what is it that brought them to the conclusion that they think they could have had something working like that? Yeah, and it's the, that is the wildest one of these because I don't know. Like, it, it, I mean, you read that verse or that passage from Homer and you're like, it just, the ships know where everything is and the the ships don't have a rudder. They don't have a pilot. They just know how to get anywhere. Mist doesn't affect them. And they, and it, it says they shape themselves according to what purpose they need. They're needed for. So like, mm-hmm. right. If you need a deep water ship, then it can, it, it can, it can crack. They can be crafted to be a deep water ship and then be able to traverse the deep waters. If it's more shallow, like a riverboat or, or whatever it is, you know, it, it it's, it's suited to the task at hand and it's fascinating. And like, I don't know, I, I, I don't know where they came up with it. I don't know if well, one day is, a sailor's like, man, wouldn't it be great if we didn't need a pilot, we could just have the ship go, which is totally possible. It so sounds like something a sailor would say. Here's where but, my mind goes. And I, and I think I'm going to get to my, my thought that I had earlier. You've got, okay. you've got Pandora, you've got the golden maidens, you've got Telos, Talos, and you've got these other automatons, right? And these other automatons, pair of fire-breathing horses, mm-hmm. giant eagle cast out of bronze, the golden Keladons, like these are seemingly impractical because they're, they're very much tied into mythology, but they're seemingly mm-hmm. impractical. Like I, as, as awesome as it would be to have two fire-breathing bulls at my house, I can't think <laughs> of a good reason to have them. It doesn't make sense for me yeah. to have them. It doesn't make sense for anyone to really have them because I'm not sure what you'd use them for if they weren't actual bulls would just be easier to deal with. Yeah, I mean, a but, lot of these were created as as gifts of favors to kings, right? right. So it was more of, an, of a sign of authority or, or privilege or favor from the gods than, than it was then, oh, now you have these guard dogs and so you can keep the whole country secure. No, that, yeah, you're right. They didn't have the practical I mean, purpose. Like, Not a bad idea. Oh, two of them, you know, like that was for the king personally. It wasn't necessarily for 
some right. grand purpose. Whereas these ships, ships serve purpose, very important purpose. Right. And, and so that's where I get to like the, the golden maidens in the ships. And to some extent, Talos, Talos has a purpose, but I'm also thinking like, this is apparently a very large creature, right? Talos is not a small thing. Yeah. He's, it's depending on how you, the origin, he's depicted as a giant many times right. So that he runs across the island. So yeah. Again, part of that is impractical. So here's where it's impractical, right? Like I remember, you know, the Matrix is coming out soon, the new one. Yeah. But I remember watching, and it's in practice, it's in Star Wars, it's in, and Jeff's gonna get all mad at me about this. Star Wars, it happened in the Matrix. <laughs> um walking battle machines are the least practical devices yeah. ever ever considered um mech warriors like anything that walks it's just terrible i mean humans are actually okay at it but even we trip all the time so spending hundreds of thousands of dollars or millions of dollars on a machine that walks to carry out your war and they walk very slowly it's just a bad idea well there's a reason that tanks don't have feet because right. they're the least efficient way to get a tank moving. The tracks are the right. Like, so the ad ats and all that stuff in star Wars, it's like, yeah, it looks cool on screen, but a tank just, is going to move a whole lot faster and it's going to deal with terrain a whole lot better. Yeah, you're, you're going to bring an, ad, an, an ad at from space after flying at light speed, you're going to bring it down in a ship and drop it and watch it walk 15 miles an hour <laughs> towards the enemy. Uh, only to yeah. be like tripped over a steel bar or something. Anyways, I'm getting off topic here. Um, the the thought I had though is this: these um, these ships, right? Mm -hmm. This is actually the most practical type of artificial intelligence or machine that I've seen in this entire discussion. Mm -hmm. Right? Like it's. It's extremely practical. And my only thought is, how did somebody even come up with the idea that a ship would pilot itself or even say, yeah, they can pilot themselves and to this specific specificity that they understand what you think. They don't have rudders. Um, they know. So you couldn't steer it if you wanted to. Yeah and, yeah. and even if it's misty and cloudy, they can get there. So my thought is, is this i'm sure at some time a greek because they made all these other they we know they actually made some of these automatons right like the uh the wine pouring made i'm sure mm -hmm. that at some point they they built a little wheeled device that went on its own right mm -hmm. you 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 wound it up or you set some gears in motion and the thing just rolled on its own mm -hmm. i'm nearly certain that they've made that at some point and if they did that, then I'm pretty certain at some point, then here's where intelligence really takes off human intelligence, that they imagined what they would want because they know that things can be automated to an extent that they imagined like a level or two ahead of where they could actually create it right like gene roddenberry in creating star trek imagined an ipad 
He had no idea how to build one. He had no idea how that would work or how it would connect wirelessly. Mm -hmm. He's just like, this will be a device that we'll have 400 years from now. And you'll have all this stuff right here. And it'll be, uh, it'll just be easy. It'll be touchscreen. It'll be fantastic. And he put that imagination into creating something that nobody had even considered. At that and then point. that inspired a generation of people to say, how can we make that real? Oh, absolutely. Yep. But I, I, I don't know that these pilotless ships ever happened. So here's what's interesting, though. And first of all, point of correction, um, the Phasian people were probably on the uh, Ionian Sea on the island okay. of uh, Scary. So just not the Aegean, okay. they're on the other side of the peninsula. But also, so this was written by Homer. So this was, again, probably written around seven to 800 BC, depending on kind of where you place Homer this story of these pilotless ships. Again, this is before classical Greek, what we think of as the great thinkers of ancient Greece. Mm -hmm. This predated that by centuries. What's interesting, though, is that Hero of Alexandria invented what's called the Aleopile, and, uh, which is also known as Hero's Engine, which was, albeit incredibly primitive, was a very simple steam engine in ancient Greece. And so the Greeks didn't just take these ideas, these fanciful ideas and say, well, that sounds cool. And then just didn't do anything with it. Like they tried to make as much as they could with the technology and, and knowledge they had, they tried to make these things a reality. It's like, well, what if you could have a self-propelled ship? Well, steam would be a way to do that. Mm -hmm. Right. Because before then it was all manpower. The, the Greeks had the triremes and biremes, which, you know, yeah, they had sails, but they were predominantly powered by rowers, you know, banks of oars. And so if you could have something that could propel itself theoretically, like by steam, um, and then solving the navigation problem, I don't know how you would do that, but it's kind of cool to see that the the mythology or the the epic tale kind of like Star Trek for us, the epic tales of Homer and the Iliad and the Odyssey. I'm sure Hero of Alexandria read these and said, well, what if? And I think that's a really cool thing to look at and say, you know, they, they were inspired by their own, their own, their own literature, you know, and it, what, how much of it is real? I don't know. Right. Cause you said, this is all baseless in a sense. We're just kind of saying what if ourselves, but there's a connection there. Yeah, I just, you know, in, in in thinking about some of these devices and ideas, again, I, I think there's something of a stretch to say the Greeks were considering AI, but they're thinking about other things beyond themselves that might be able to carry out the tasks that humans carry out. But the imagination it requires to come up with a ship and 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 if you're living in the in the you know the early classical antiquity era before before classical greece that you're imagining a ship that can pilot itself and even if homer is just writing down something he heard somebody had this idea of a ship that could just drive itself and so they had the idea that the ship much like some other greek 
tales like Pandora or Talos could be imbued with intelligence to make decisions on its own. But that you could have a machine that could actually operate the way or in a, in a way better than the ships currently did. I, it's it's well, a level have... of imagination that I think we sometimes forget that we're capable of. And we yeah. have been capable of for 8,000 years, 6,000 years. And that's the thing is we have the benefit of 2,700 years of development and, and in, you know, history, right? We can look at it and go like, well, of course you can have self-driving cars and planes that fly themselves and ships on autopilot. Of course you can. But back then, could you imagine trying to tell a sea captain, man, what if you could make a ship that didn't need a captain and didn't need a rudder? He would He'd think you were you out of your board. mind. Probably. Yeah. He'd be like, well, clearly you've gone, you've gone crazy and you're going to lead a mutiny. Like that's, that's how wild the thinking would be to them. It'd be wild 400 years ago. Yeah. What it, but what it actually takes technologically speaking to have a self, not just self motored or self propelled, but self directing vehicle Mm -hmm. is something we've really only made happen in any sort of mass way over the past Mm -hmm. 20 or 30 years. And for cars, our most common transportation device only in the last five or six, Mm -hmm. um, the the Greeks would have literally no concept of the technology required to make that happen. But they thought that still would be interesting if we could make that happen. But, well, but and that, 50 that years ago, to, we had no clue how we didn't have the technology to even make it possible. And yet the Greeks were still imagining a future in which that could happen or a reality where it could happen. Well, and that leads me to uh, the Antikythera mechanism, which is this this device that these you know Greeks that was in this island of Antikythera that they were diving for sponges about a hundred years ago. And they found this device and it's circular. Um, If you get a chance, we need to throw an image up of it because it's really quite cool. And they were able to replicate finally a 3d image of what all the missing pieces are that they could add. And it's this device that was able to predict things like lunar and solar eclipses. It was able to predict the charting of stars moving across the night sky and seasons and all this stuff. And so what you could do is you would input certain, you know, you'd set the, the gears and the dials and all this stuff to a certain device or to a certain setting and then run it. And then it would tell you, okay, the next solar eclipse is going to be on June 3rd, 2025, right? That's what it would tell you. Or the next lunar eclipse is going to be uh, January 4th. And, and so it would tell you all these things. It would say, okay, and Jupiter, Jupiter is going to be passing over the night sky on this day. And, and so it would tell you all these things. So basically, not basically, it was a computer because you input information and it produced a result for you. And they dated this device. And it's the only one they found, but they've dated this device to about the first or second century BC. So this is in that classical Greek era. But again, what you're saying, Eric, right? Like with these pilotless ships, it's like, man, just to imagine that in 700 BC, 
But then you see these other inventions like Archimedes screw, you see um, Hero's uh, engine, and then you see the Antikythera mechanism, like all these things where like the Greeks are trying to apply that vision to make it a reality. And, And they came up with what you would definitely call a computer, not obviously as sophisticated as what we have today, but it produced the same function just so at a much simpler level because that that antikythera right antikythera you know it it computed right it took information it ran a function and and output some sort of information so one of the first modern computers then uh was developed in 1943 it's called ENIAC right Mm -hmm. and the it was like 30 tons cost about 400 500 thousand dollars to make nearly 18,000 vacuum tubes. But here's what it could do. It could predict, it could calculate an artillery shell's trajectory, which in the 1940s seems like a pretty important task, except it took 30 seconds to calculate that, that trajectory, which if you fire an artillery shell, it's going to hit By much time sooner than that. Yeah. But see, their goal wasn't to take this 30-ton computer out into the field and start predicting German artillery shells coming at them. It was almost a, if we can do this now, if we can build this thing, then maybe a year from now we can do something, maybe we can trim that time to 20 seconds or we can... Uh, predict something else that is more pertinent. Mm -hmm. So this is where one of the kind of historical adventures is those people who are willing to, again, imagine something and maybe they don't know the purpose behind it or the application, but they're like, I would like to try it. If we could do this, that might open up something else. Well, and and what's interesting is about the Antikythera mechanism is it was found on a shipwreck and it was able to chart the course of stars at night. And so there's a very good possibility this was used in some form of navigation. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of it just kind of adds to that. It's a small, very small one of many steps to getting to the pilotless ship. Right. Because if you're going to have a pilotless ship, you need to have a navigation system. Right. Our cars, these cars that can self drive, basically, they have hyper advanced navigation. But you don't get to the Tesla of today without Homer of 2,700 years ago saying, What if? You know, and, and Homer certainly wasn't the only one, but he's the one we're discussing here um, in this case. And I think that's what you know, kind of gives you that wonder of how we got from ancient Greece and the story of the Iliad and the Odyssey to, to today. And like you said, with the first computers, like, yeah, it doesn't do a lot of good in, in the heat of combat. It's just better to have a guy there that can, that can predict the trajectory by sight. But now, and it was the same thing uh, with the NASA program, right? The human computers, Mm -hmm. you know, when we, was it that hidden numbers movie? Yeah. All those those women, that's what they were. They were human computers because they were able to calculate everything fast enough to give that to the to the engineer so that they could predict the trajectory of the space flights. Well, eventually 
computers were able to supplant them, but for a while there, it was kind of they neck and neck computers. Yeah. Like, so it's just, you know, that, that step of progress is like, and I think we do that with a lot of technology today, a lot of new technology today where we're like, well, what good is that thing? Like, that's not going to help me now. And it's like solar 30 years ago. Well, yeah, solar is expensive. It doesn't produce enough power. It's like, yeah, 30 years ago it didn't, but now look at it. The panels are cheaper. They're getting more efficient and it's, mm -hmm. you know, it's a better use. Um, and it's a lot obviously cleaner. So I mean, don't if, invest if, in technology. If we based everything on, on the initial application, consider, you know, the early development of nuclear energy, just we, we, we figured out that we can create fission mm -hmm. with these different radioactive elements. And to somebody without the knowledge of what that is would be like, well, I don't see any purpose for that. You're just messing with things that are going to get, make you sick. Mm -hmm. And then you have these brilliant scientists say, actually, if we can, if we can do what we think we can do, if we can do what our calculations tell us we can do, we could do a couple different things, but we have to try it out first, right? We could mm -hmm. use it to make a weapon. Uh, we can also use it to make if fairly clean energy. Mm -hmm. And uh, so they did, and they tried. And what that did require is, uh, you know, Chevron and oil companies were not going to spend money to develop nuclear power. Mm -hmm. But the federal government, said we have money always that we can spend on this and yeah. so we want to develop this because we think well, it has any, promise like you said with any technological leap that's always happened i mean the first car the horse was way faster and way better than the first car the first train slight like all that stuff like they're the like wagons were able to do the job of a train fine for centuries and they did it better but eventually the train got bigger and faster and, and capable of hauling more and it beat the wagon out same thing with ships right it was it was either manpower or wind power for since time began and then steam power came and slowly started to supplant that and so like in the late 1800s you've got all these steamships but they still got sails and like it's just kind of interesting how that technology overtakes um but you can't you can't get there without someone willing to risk it. And in a lot of cases in, in modern society, without a benefactor, usually the government funding it um, to, to keep it going until it is useful and profitable for, for all. So it, it's kind of a fascinating trek that we've seen just kind of opening up this Pandora's box, pardon the pun, um, discussing the, yeah, I got there, um, discussing the ancient Greeks and their ideas of what we would call robotics or artificial intelligence and seeing how their what if has led to a reality of today. Now, I did want to ask one final question uh, on this topic, and that was what if Zeus, was Zeus right? And i mentioned when we were reading Hesiod and he's talking about Pandora and it said the gods kept hidden from men, the means of life else you would easily do work enough in a day to supply you for a full year without working. And I think what we were just talking about is like all these technologies now have made our lives so much different than they were a hundred years ago, 200 years ago. 
and in many respects made them easy, especially compared to, to centuries ago. But as Zeus is saying, or Hesiod is saying kind of with the voice of Zeus, else you would easily do work in enough in a day to supply you for a full year without working. And so the, the danger in a sense of technology or the means of life, as Hesiod says, is that if you don't have to work for anything, it can lead to all these sorts of destructions and it can lead to all these other societal problems if man doesn't have to work to get what he needs. And so I kind of want to get into that a little bit because it's a question that we have to constantly ask ourselves is, is this technology, do the benefits outweigh the drawbacks? And in some regards, I think absolutely. I mean, like you, you mentioned previously, would you give up the medical technology we have of today because there's potential drawbacks to that? Would you give up the ability to get in a car and go anywhere? But it, it makes you reliant on that vehicle. Like, would, would you give those things up um, even though there are potential drawbacks? I mean, so I think about um, what technology allows us to do. Technology allows us to do some of the things that are good. I mean, technology itself is is neither good nor evil. It is simply a tool. And so it's, again, mm -hmm. it's kind of an old adage. It's how you're going to use it. Um, the computer allows me to write in a way that I feel is more natural for me to write or rather uh, it's more powerful, right? I can write things and I can edit and I can remove things and it doesn't, mm -hmm. I don't have to scratch things out. I can just delete them or I can, you know, it, it's like, it's a more powerful tool. Um, however, I might be happier if I just had a writing desk and paper and pens. I might actually get more writing done because there's a great deal of distraction that comes with this technology. Mm -hmm. um, the car is wonderful. Like it's an amazing device. And fortunately I've never um, been in a serious car accident, mm -hmm. but that device could potentially kill me. It could be what kills me. Mm -hmm. But the benefit in time is, is uh, I mean, I don't know how I can measure it. I, tell my, I told my students this year something. I said, if I, if I had a million dollars and gave it to you this morning, would you take it? And all of them were like, yes. And then I had a few contrarians like, no, I wouldn't take it. I'm, <laughs> they might already have a million dollars. I don't know. Anyways, um, and then I said, okay, but you take it, but then you don't wake up tomorrow. And all their hands go down. And the, and the point was, what's your most valuable resource? It's time. Like that's, that's the one thing that you have and you don't get more of it than, than what you're already going to get. But all of this technology often saves us time, sometimes can save us effort, but, but you still need to give effort. Like what initially mm -hmm. comes to mind when I see this phrase that, uh, that Zeus says is I think of the movie Wally, -E, 
And this reminds me of a TikTok I saw a few weeks back. Someone said, uh, people who say Wally is their favorite movie or have fond memories of the film Wally are only thinking of the first 45 minutes. Because after the first 45 minutes, it gets really weird. You get into the spaceship where all the humans are being carted around mm-hmm. and fed and fattened mm-hmm. up. And they do nothing but watch their TVs and sit in their mobile chairs and eat. Mm-hmm. So while that sounds luxurious, right? I could watch TV and eat and not move. I also noted that at the end of a day like that, uh, I feel very little value in myself. You wouldn't be satisfied. No, I wouldn't. And and I think, you know, it's interesting about that is I, I think Zeus or Hesiod has a, a has a good warning here. It's like work is good for people. It is good for man to work. You know, when God created Adam and Eve in Genesis, he says, be fruitful and multiply. And it's, he also gives them a command to work in the garden. Now, God provided everything for them. He had given them life. He, they had weren't going to, this is before they had sinned. They weren't going to die. They had all the food they could possibly ever need. But he says, still says, work the garden. Like he still wants them to have purpose beyond just existing. And I think that's something that's so important for us today in this modern society, right? A hundred years ago, 200 years ago, 2,700 years ago, it was easy to know the value of work because if you didn't, you died. Like if a man doesn't work, a man doesn't eat sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And, And so it was easy for that to say the value of work is your physical survival. Well, now the value of work isn't it still is in a sense, right? Like I still need to work to pay the bills and all that, but I don't have to go work in a field. I don't have to go grow a garden to feed my family or or have a crop or anything like that. Like I can do those. I can provide for my family through working via computer on, on a desk at home. So what's the purpose? But even still, let's, let's take that for a moment. Okay. Because I work as well. We both have jobs. And we get paid and we take that money and we, we use it to buy produce, probably mm-hmm. meat, food. We go to the grocery store, we buy it, it's packaged or it's just laying out, right? Mm-hmm. At what point do we lose the understanding that this stuff had to be grown, that this stuff had, there's a process, like these tomatoes that I bought these have been in the process of growing for weeks, if not months. Mm-hmm. It's a great long process that went into these. Do I understand the value of what this takes? Do I understand the value that this is not necessarily an abundant and eternal resource? It appears to me to be so. I have to pay mm-hmm. money, but I just assume, you know, that's the overhead, right? But understanding that this comes from somewhere and could be a scarce resource. And that if tomatoes stopped being grown for whatever reason, they would also stop showing up. Like, does that connection, like, how do we, and I guess I understand that, but how can I teach that value, that reality to my children and the next generation? 
because we're we're currently, and I want to say this and be cautious in saying this, I feel like at this moment we are at a pinnacle of of prosperity and technology technological advancement. And and by pinnacle, because we really have not come down from you know, the, the wealth that we've had over the past couple of years, even with the pandemic, it really hasn't kicked our society down much. Not on the whole, but certain sectors. But what's interesting is, is that America is uniquely blessed in this regard. And it's funny because you can just go south of the border and it's not like that at all. It's mm-hmm. far more unstable. I mean, there's vast parts of the, the world that are very unstable and food scarcity is a real concern. But you're right, is that in America, we are becoming so detached from what it takes to have this seemingly endless supply of, of the things we need to live. And granted, there's many that are still in poverty here and, and, and struggle with, you know, hunger and homelessness. And and we're not discounting that, but America is very fortunate in general in how blessed we are. And so we can kind of, like you said, take those things for granted and you don't want your kids to grow up thinking it's just a given. I'll always have food or I'll always have a roof over my head or we'll always have running water or heating or air. Right. Because those things, you just flick a switch and they're there. And so it's important to realize like it's not always like that. And it wasn't always like that, not that long ago, mm-hmm. even in the United States, it wasn't always like that. And I think, you know, for, for me, and I guess for my wife and our kids is something we're trying to do with limited success is we, you know, tried to grow a garden this year um, in our backyard and, have the kids help us with it and like help weed it and, and water it and plant it and stuff like that. And it's like, here's, you know, this is where food comes from you know, teaching you that, you know, that was something that some of my best memories as a kid were growing, um, helping my grandmother with her garden. And I think same thing for my wife, you know, with her family. And I think there's a value in that. And I think it's funny is that the more advanced we become technologically and the more that technology can supplant our needs, such as food, shelter, water, and possibly in the future, uh, jobs, if, if, if we kind of get out of a post production economy and get into, a you know, some sort of economy where UBI exists and, and stuff like that then the more that that happens, I think it's even more important that we get back to our roots. And I'm not saying that means we all have to go become, you know, crofters and have little plots of land that we garden, but this idea of that, there's nothing wrong with that, (laughs) but you can kind of see people, a lot of people, especially in America that are, that kind of rebel against the modern world, not that they don't like technology, they love it, but they like, they're like, I want to get back in touch with my humanity in a sense. And the way I do that is I, you know, I'll go become um, a homesteader or I'll, you know, go 
kind of live a primitive life or I'll start growing my own food and selling it, or I'll start crafting my own, like creating my own things. And like, and that's another thing I love about TikTok is you see all these people, just regular people building and creating things with their hands or growing things or making art or music. And it's like, because they don't need to labor all the time, like physically labor for their needs and for their sustenance. And so like, but they still want that purpose. And to them, that purpose is art or comedy or mm-hmm. building things, you know, like your father, like he loves building things. Yeah. And I'm guessing even now that he's retired, he probably still does that, Yep. you know, and, and I think humans need that purpose. And, in, you know, it's good for men and women to work and not because they need to work to provide for their needs, but because work prov- can if it's work they enjoy can bring them satisfaction. And I think that's, that's the purpose of work. Work should not be the rat race or just trying to make a buck. Um, It can do that. But I think as we move forward in in this, this new world that the, the purpose of work will change and what its goal is will change. And it'll become something more than just, making sure you can pay your bills. You know, like you, yeah, you don't, is, you don't teach because of all the money you make. But let me tell you, <laughs> I mean, I mean, you do make all that money, but you teach because you felt that that was your passion, your calling. And I think we need more people to get into that where they're, where they're like, what is it that I can do that gives me purpose that may or may not provide for me financially, but that gives me purpose and that I can, that I can share with the world, so to speak. Mm -hmm. I don't know what the answer is, but I I think those are the questions we need to ask. I I think if I was to be completely provided for, I would, and and I didn't have to work, I would go absolutely stir crazy. Which is what Mm -hmm. happens in June and July, unless I keep myself busy or unless we travel or visit, I go absolutely stir crazy. Mm -hmm. And so I find other things to pursue during that time to keep myself occupied. Sure. Not not that I, I despise or don't like silence, not like I have much silence, but, um, you know, to put myself to a meaningful task. And, you know, on the, on the topic of silence and quiet, you know, I talking with my students, um, you know, towards the end of the day and, you know, we, you know, we haven't really, in our, our initial recording, we discussed uh, a little bit about ourselves, but, you know, I, I teach at a, at a Christian school and prayer is part of our day. Mm -hmm. And I've had to kind of, very intentionally take the prayer times and really structure them, you know, our opening prayer, the end of the day prayer, because they turn into, um, dear God, thank you for today. Amen. And so I've had to take time to take examples from books of prayer and, and read these and they take a minute and finishing them up. I'm like, wow, that was like a whole minute where the seventh or eighth graders didn't say a word. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I tell them at the end, I said, you know, hopefully you heard something in the prayer that 
that you can connect to your life, to you personally, to someone, you know, you know, but man, we're quiet for the whole time. Quiet is good. Quiet is very good. Um, but, but it's only good if you have that in moderation and you can work Mm -hmm. in moderation. If you're just working, 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 I mean, we've gone from Greek robots into, you know, what is a man to do with his time? <laughs> yeah. Well, then it's so funny is because I think there was a, a Powerball or Mega Millions is almost $700 million this past week. And so there's like 150 miles from here. Morro Bay is really close to where I am. Yeah. So yeah. Somebody in California won it. And, and anyway, it was like, my wife and I were talking because we got a ticket and and we're like, well, what if we won? And I told her, I go, if we won the the seven hundred million dollar jackpot, I would still go to work the next day. Yeah. And I go one because I love the company I work for. I truly mm-hmm. do. I it's it's an incredible job, and I love the people. But two, it wouldn't be good for me if all of a sudden I had all this wealth. And I didn't have something that gave me purpose on a day-to-day right. basis. And I, I, I've thought of that too. You know, if, if I, if, you know, win the power on the few times that we play, it's like, ah, if we won the 700, 200, doesn't matter how many hundred millions of dollars, yeah. what would we do? It's like, well, you know, I, I, at the very least, I'd make sure I completed my contract. Cause I'm, I'm, you know, I'm on a contract, right for teaching um much like professional athletes have contracts i also have a contract so <laughs> yeah just like them exactly, just, like them. exactly. Um, but at the very least i finished that out but then i think about like there's things that i do in my job that i love more than anything else i mean they're they're right up there at the top I would have to keep doing those things. One of those things would be coaching. I'd just be like, yeah, I'll, I'll go ahead and just, just coach. Sure. Uh, you don't even have to pay me. I'll just coach. I'll come in mm-hmm. and, and plan it all out. I'll, I'll teach this or I'll teach that. But, um, you know, honestly, my biggest thought of, you know, making it big, winning a bunch of cash would be, uh, I'm just going to, self-funded this podcast and pay all the oh the podcast everyone. studio we would have i i was talking to my wife about it. i'm like oh yeah i like i would <laughs> i would have a whole wing to the house that would just be for podcasting and i would have an assistant and his name would be ed and he was just going to be in the podcast studio editing all our videos for us so ed, ed the, the editor. editor yeah yeah so no it wouldn't yeah, be no, in no. the house I, i'm not saying i wouldn't i wouldn't like, be doing the whole thing in person finally oh yeah and you, no, no, you, i take my my private jet to visit you and like you'd be, you'd be I would still live payroll. here. I'd be paying everyone to be on the podcast. Yeah. Fly out three times a week. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no problem. But, but I'd still be plane. humble. I'd still yes. be humble. I wouldn't, still I wouldn't humble. let it get to my head, but <laughs> yeah, but you're right. That, that, that just leads us to the point. It's like, we'd still have to find things that gave us purpose. Mm-hmm. I think that's that kind of to, I guess, wrap it up. That's in my mind, the the purpose of work. You know, and we can talk about 
how far technology can take us, be it the automatons of ancient Greece and the pilotless ships of ancient Greece to the actual driverless cars of today and, and all the automation that's going on today. And it's like, those things are great and they serve a purpose and they're generally good for humanity, but they can't replace what's giving you personal meaning. And if, if they replace your, if they meet your needs, then you've got to find something else to, to satisfy you. And, you know, considering that we have a purpose, much like Talos and Pandora and the, the golden maidens had a purpose. Uh, mm-hmm. I guess the question must be asked from where do we derive our purpose? Yeah, it's a great question. And so, because we are intelligent beings, someone gave us purpose. That's all I'm going to say. Just leave it at that. Nice. And I, think I like it's it to serve each other, you know, in, in whatever respect. And Yeah. And I mean, I think, you know, that's, that's always the big question. What's the meaning of life, right? That's what everyone asks. And you, you come to different answers and, you know, personally, I believe that my purpose and meaning comes from God and there's people that don't believe that. And, and I, but then the quest for them is to figure out, well, if it's not from God, then from whom, and if it's, you know, and, and what is it? And Mm -hmm. uh, I think that's the question that we all ask and we all spend much of our life trying to figure out. Um, And a lot of people, their answer is, well, work is my purpose, which I think is sad because if it is, then it's like, but there's more to your life than just your job. And, and you need to figure out what that is. Um, and for a lot of people, family's their purpose. And I think that's, you know, that's a big, big purpose of mine is my wife and kids. And they bring me unmitigated joy and my kids also bring me unending strife and I couldn't ask for it any other way, Yeah, but, um, also don't be an automaton. Yeah. Do something more than you were programmed to, right? Like you, you can say, well, here's what I was set to do on this earth. Well, maybe you were, maybe you can do something more than that. Um, but we're getting really deep into the philosophical cuts, which I love it, but, uh, so good. Yeah. All right. Well, it's also nice to be awake this time. Yeah, no, no. It was a lot more back and forth as opposed to me talking. Yeah. Back last time. All right. Well, thank you guys for joining us and uh, we appreciate you guys listening. Make sure you like subscribe, follow, share with your friends, share with your enemies, whoever you want. Definitely. uh, We'll see y'all next time. Have a good one.